Are you ready to take control of your wealth and design the life you envision for yourself and your family? Welcome to Wealth of Insight with Austin Wittenberg from Wittenberg Wealth Partners. Austin guides you through the entire planning process to help you build a plan that seeks to protect your financial future. He empowers you with creative investment opportunities and planning ideas to help you understand and achieve your long-term goals. It's time to gain confidence in your financial future. Now, onto the show. Welcome back to the Wealth of Insight podcast. Today, we've got Jeff Gross with Apollo Global Management joining us today. Uh, Jeff's worked with my dad, I don't know, probably going on 20 years or so, wouldn't you say, Jeff? Yeah, it's been uh, early 2000s we started working together. And I might have met you on my very first day, you know, so we've worked with Jeff for for a long time here, and he's helped us provide real estate solutions to clients. So today I thought I'd bring him on to talk real estate. Um, you know, it's one of the most common questions I get. So, you know, I know it's something that's on everybody's mind. Jeff, why don't you give us just a quick 30 second, 60 second history on how you started in financial services and, and got to where you are today? Sure. Thank you, Austin. So yeah, my, um, my career started back in Boston with a uh, mutual fund company. It was Pioneer Investments. And I know they've gone through some name changes and what have you, but I was a, an internal wholesaler there. And, and then uh, they, they promoted me to be what's an external where you go out in, in, into the field and live in your territory. So I moved to Denver in uh, 2002 and I, I stayed there in Denver till 2005, just doing mutual funds. And just stocks, it, bonds to that, you know, normal kind of mutual yeah, fund stuff. Okay. Exactly. And then in uh, 2005, I was recruited by this small private real estate company down in Phoenix called Coal Capital. At the time, they had about $800 million under management. They were putting together a, a distribution group and they wanted to raise money in what's called the non traded real estate investment trust space, where you raise capital, you go out and after you raise the money that gets deployed into buying individual properties, those properties generate cash flow, and you own a portfolio of what could be uh, a billion or two after you aggregate it and, and raise money for a few years. And so I was with them for 10 years, and, and then we went public and, and got sold, joined Griffin Capital in 2015, was another private real estate shop, did the non-traded REITs, but then um, the industry changed a lot when FINRA uh, came along and, and uh, adjusted the rules. So the interval fund structure, which is now very popular, is something where rather than you're just putting money into a private investment and depending on the uh, home office to deploy all that capital and, and could be very sector specific. Now, the interval fund structure is a ticker symbol. It prices every day you get a very diverse portfolio and, and they're perpetual. So you don't have a, a finite life cycle. This is something you can buy into it today. And you may want to hold it for a quarter. You may want to hold it for 10 years. It's, it's completely up to you and your clients. So that's um, the, the, the structure there. And, and just recently, so we, when you introduced, I'm working with Apollo now, it's because Griffin, we announced in December that we were going to be acquired by Apollo and, and that transaction took place March 1st. So now I work for Apollo Global Management only through a uh, acquisition. All right. You've worked that's several places. Today. Yeah, several places, but real estate sort of has weaved its way through all of that, you know, yes. um, 
And as I mentioned, it's one of the most common questions I think I get is, should I be buying real estate, investing in real estate? You know, everybody hears about it. I think they like it because you can like drive up to, let's say, a rental home and touch it and look at it and it's tangible. Whereas when you walk past the Apple store, you don't maybe get the same feeling about the Apple stock that you own. But, you know, and typically when clients are asking me that, it is sort of that residential real estate focused. Hey, should I buy a rental property, own it, you know, and collect the cash flow? So what I wanted to talk about today is this other side of that investment world. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple of things in there, non-traded REITs, which are, you know, as you mentioned, real estate products, the interval funds, but publicly traded real estate, something I want to just take a few seconds on too, because you can also just go to the you know, stock market and buy a publicly traded real estate company. Um, but there you may not get some of the same types of diversification we would like. If you're owning the stock in the stock market, that real estate fluctuates pretty similar to just traditional stocks. We're not going to spend too much time there. I want to spend most of our time sort of on the private real estate space. So let's get into it here. Why should somebody, why should a client, you know, consider real estate as part of their overall portfolio? Sure. So, so the first thing is, Austin, you mentioned public. So I do want to, I want to spend a minute there. Public real estate in real quickly is you buy, type in a ticker symbol and that ticker symbol XYZ, which is not a real trade degree, but you just type in your ticker symbol like sure. you would to buy Microsoft or Google or Amazon. And you, you buy shares of a publicly traded company that happens to own real estate. Well, you don't actually own hard assets. You just own shares of this company and it's going to price based on supply and demand. And you're going to get an 80% correlation roughly to the stock market because it's going to price, like I said, earnings and supply and demand and cash flow and things like that. It doesn't really trade. Like if you own a hard asset, like you were mentioning, if you own real estate directly, that price is based off of who the tenants are, what's the lease duration, what's the quality, what's the cash flow location. There, there's 50 different metrics that go into the pricing, let's say, of a piece of real estate and, and the different sectors that major categories are office, industrial, multifamily, and retail. Those are all commercial real estate. And then you can get specific in, into like healthcare and uh, storage, uh, self-storage, then you can get data centers and things, but still the, the four major categories are all considered uh, commercial real estate. And okay. so on the private side, there are a lot of benefits to that. Well, yeah, so let's get into some of the, some of the benefits then there, because, you know, the, the last few years, I think has been a little bit, well, even just this year, it's, you know, here we are middle of June, 2022, the stock market's really sold off. Real estate has almost done the opposite. You know, so let's let's talk about. You have any info or, or data on? Hey, what does this look like? If I'm a traditional investor, say I own a portfolio of sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds, how much real estate should I add? What are the benefits to me by adding in this new asset class? Sure. So when you you look at traditional sixty forty, you're going to see returns typically 
If you look from 2000 to 2020, you're going to look at an average of about seven to 8%, right? With a, a volatility, which typically is measured by a standard deviation. And you're going to be in the high nines, you know, high single digit, low double digit volatility. But the average person doesn't have the capital or you know the time for that matter to, to worry about having proper diversification in in the real estate space because if you're, you know, most people that like, you know, we keep bringing it up, mentioning rental properties, you know, you're pretty geographically locked in. There's a lot of risks that maybe don't get considered there when people are looking there. If we want true diversification, it takes quite a bit of capital in the real estate world and or significant debt to make that happen. If you're just going out there on your own, trying to make sure you have good exposure to these different industries and, and sectors. And it's been really interesting. You know, you mentioned the public real estate side of things, you know, that's such an interesting dichotomy to me where realist publicly traded real estate, as you said, is off, but most people's homes, you know, they've seen their homes appreciate or these other things have continued to appreciate. And that's really, I think the power of having some of these more private type options, almost mimicking what the ultra wealthy and the big institutions can do but at a lot more consumer-friendly price point, so to speak. That's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's a, a structure, it's an interval fund, and the interval fund is, is one that you can invest in and through the aggregation, right? So this is a perpetual type of vehicle, and in an interval fund, you're raising hundreds of millions of dollars, and even up to billions of dollars, and as you do that, you then can go out and invest alongside of institutions and in these private equity funds. So there's anywhere up to 40 different funds that pension funds and insurance companies and endowments can invest in, and they are open-ended and they're diversified. And what you're going to look for is a fund that will give you exposure to like the sectors that I was just mentioning. So to your point, very difficult for an individual to go out and get this type of diversification because they may not have the capital, like you said, to buy all the different properties. But not only do you have to acquire them, you then have to manage them. You have to deal with tenant turnover. You have to deal with vacancies. These are all things where you, you look to companies that are built for this and handle all of that for you. And then you really are investing in the fund to generate cash flow. It's an income play because the, all the tenants are paying rent. And then after you're, you're looking for some appreciation, right? You own buildings that have tenants in them. They occupy them. They're paying rent. You're increasing rents, hopefully over time, and then looking for some appreciation on the back end. And in inflationary times, you also do have a component of the fact that you have a hard asset. Right. So this building is made up of bricks and glass and steel and concrete and all of these things, which we've seen are increasing in price. So you have a cost of replacement component as well. Yeah. And we've seen that, you know, the last couple of years, you know, real estate prices, everybody knows, have have really gone crazy, really skyrocketed. Historically speaking, as, as we stretch this out over. 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years, right? Really a lot of the return 
would you say comes more from that income side of things? Yeah, I would say that when you're looking to invest in this type of real estate, this is more core and it is not a major growth component. And, and when I say this type, when you're looking at conservative interval fund type investments with the ticker symbol that we're, we're buying assets that are fully leased up. We're buying assets that we're thinking time horizon anywhere from 30 to 50 years of a type of hold. This is not a, a fix and flip strategy. You're, you're not buying something that's 40 or 50% occupied going in, fixing it up and then looking to flip it in a short amount of time for some big growth component. This is, you can get that type of exposure just in, in different aspects of, of investing that's gonna be more aggressive, that's typically gonna be in a private placement structure. Whereas here, this is a public version, meaning you, you, you look at it with a ticker symbol and from a suitability perspective, it's much different than going after those private type investments where you're, you might only have one or two properties that you're getting into. This, this gives you exposure to private real estate, but in a fun structure. Yeah. And that's, you know, from our standpoint and a lot of our clients, I think they appreciate that sort of hands-off slash less brain damage approach to real estate, right? Let's, how can we benefit from the asset class? How can we have exposure to multifamily, to, you know, industrial warehouses, the Amazon revolution of the world, or how can we get exposure to these things? But I don't have to be the one on the phone with the tenants, you know, that, that sort of hands-off approach. So, and, you know, so, so we've hit on the income piece. We've hit on, I guess, you know, I'll use the link, the industry lingo, the non-correlation piece, right? That's the, you know, not necessarily moving the same way as the market does. We can have some assets moving differently than, than the S&P or, or than the stock market in general. So those are two of the big component components. Um, let's touch real quick. I want to um, just touch real quick on maybe some of the tax benefits from that income. Um, and then we, you know, just for, to be fair, maybe touch on a, a few of the trade-offs um, in the interval fund structure as well, but just with real estate in general. So, um, all right. So we've got this portfolio of real estate. They're kicking out their distributions. What does the tax treatment look like on some, on the income that's being generated? So you're, you're going to generate cash flow. It's going to be paid out typically to the investors on a monthly or a quarterly basis. And then the benefit of, of owning a hard asset like real estate is depreciation, right? And so you're going to get a 1099 at the end of the year. You're going to be able to take advantage of that depreciation. And depending on your fund, it could be anywhere from 50 to 75% tax advantaged. So you, you get your cash flow. But at the end of the year, when you're doing your taxes, you take a look at your 1099 and say, okay, well, maybe I got a five or 6% type of income stream. I'm only paying tax on 25 to 50% of this. So now you've got a nice tax advantage distribution. And the, uh, the depreciation is the reason for that. So that depreciation is, is lowering the investor's cost basis. So they do want to keep in mind that if they hold this for a particular amount of time, whether it's three, five, 10 years, and if they decide to sell it, there will be some recapture and that recapture will be taxed as long-term capital gains, though not as ordinary income. The, uh, the other benefit though is, let's say for your, your clients who want nice predictable income, 
they they just say, hey, this is a, a, an interest rate environment where it's it's tough to really find much income. I mean, we all know the bond story. We don't need to get into that as, as rates go up. It's, it's a place that people have, have reduced exposure to. But if you have some income stream here along the way, if and when the client passes away, the beneficiaries get a step up in basis and therefore there's no recapture. So that's a, an advantage, especially for some older clients looking to invest in, in real estate. Yeah. And well, for the past decade or so, bonds maybe are catching up a little bit to the real estate side of things. But in terms of looking for income, especially for those older clients, this has really been a great place to get it because interest rates had been so low for so long. So, okay. I do want to touch just, you know, just to be fair on the trade-offs here for some of these things, because there are, you know, some restrictions to liquidity and other things typically with real estate. So, you know, obviously if you go out and buy your own building, it's not very liquid. You're going to have to hire a realtor to sell it in some of the investment products that we have. It's more liquid than that, but you know, there still are certain time periods. So just want to make sure, you know, when we're working with clients and looking at their entire picture as part of their financial plan, we make sure we, we keep that um, in the back of our minds, knowing that, Hey, this is money. If we're going to make this decision, this is really money we want to be in there long-term. With the typical interval fund structure, you do have quarterly liquidity and each fund is required to have a certain amount of cash each quarter available to redeem. But we're really looking at it for our clients. Okay, once we're in here, this is something, I think you've used the word a few times, perpetual. This is something that can be in the portfolio for a long time. If you don't need the income, we still get that uh, favorable tax treatment, reinvest those dividends or look for something, you know, use that cash flow somewhere else. Or, you know, as part of a retirement income stream, this can be, be a great fit. So um, I want to touch on a few things here real quick, and we've briefly mentioned them, but I want to, I want to drill down a little bit more specifically. The first is rising interest rate environment. You know, rates have been increasing each year, uh, or not each year, each month, each day here um, over the last six months. How does that affect the commercial side of things? Maybe it's the same. I don't even know. Maybe it's the same. Maybe it's a little different than how it's affecting the the residential real estate market. Yeah. So interest rates going up, it's think of it as if you're originating your debt, if you're going out and buying all of your properties right now, then it's going to have an impact on your cash flow because you're utilizing mortgages, let's say, at a higher interest rate. Well, if you have a portfolio that exists, that's multiple billions of dollars, and that financing has already been put in place, it's locked, it's typically 10 to 15, maybe even 30 years, and you don't use a lot of leverage. So if you use maybe 25 or 30% leverage rather than going 70 or 80%, then you really put up some walls around you for the chance of failure gets much less because the people that get themselves into trouble are the ones that over leverage with short-term financing. And you get into a situation like we have right now with rates going up. Let's say you locked in a nice three or five year loan back in 2016, 2017, and that resets now. Well, if you were in the threes and now it resets in the sixes, and you had too much debt, then that's where you find yourself in trouble. So it's really the type of leverage that you use and not necessarily a a bad thing to use debt. 
and just use it conservatively. And if you've got, like I said, tenants in there on long-term leases with predictable cash flow, you'll be able to weather pretty much any storm. And that way you're not sitting there trying to refinance in an environment like we have now. Now, if you're buying new properties, which we're, we're always going to be looking to add to the portfolio, you just want to go in and we, we will look at managers who buy cash only, and then they put the financing on later if needed. Right. So like in a, in a portfolio that we have right now, I can tell you as an example, our average manager is only using 30% financing and they don't use that financing to purchase the property. They put the debt on, like I said, after the property is purchased. Okay. All right. You mentioned weathering the storm there. So let's last the, the final point here. Let's talk about recessions, right? That's in the news a lot these days. You know, it's almost, I would say it's inevitable that we have a recession, just who knows when that's going to be, right? We know that that's sort of the way that the economic and business cycles go. So how does this commercial real estate we've been talking about, how does it fare during recessionary periods? You know, how does it fit during times of the sort of stock market volatility we've had recently? Sure. Yeah. So um, let's use an example, like um, when COVID hit, we'll go to like March of 2020 and the market was down 30 plus percent. Publicly traded REITs were down the same, roughly the same amount. Whereas private real estate, right? We're, we're looking for diversification. We're looking for non-correlating assets. The tenants were there. The buildings were occupied. The leases were in place. And the easiest way to talk about this is a lot of people will say, well, boy, people were working from home. What about those office leases? The beauty of being a landlord is the tenants still paying rent. You're not tied to whether they just happen to be going into work or not. If there's five years left on that lease, 10 years left on that lease, the tenant continues to pay rent, even though they may not be going in. And, and there are negotiations that can be made. There's rent relief and things like that that can happen. But for the most part, you're still collecting rent. You're still cash flowing. The value of those properties did not go down 30% because COVID hit. Right. And then you, you look at other sectors that benefited from that, definitely industrial, multifamily, more people working from home. You look at portfolios that are nimble and can move based on what's going on around you. And that really is one of the benefits of an interval fund structure is the ability to buy and sell the shares of your private equity managers based on which sectors you may want to be increasing exposure to or decreasing exposure to. Yeah, that kind of flexibility we really like. And, you know, that speaks to just having diversification as well, right? That's sort of just a yes. time and tested true statement is diversification is, you know, something we we definitely value. So, uh, well, Jeff, I appreciate you coming on today. I think this was really helpful to give people a, a view on what the real estate world looks like and, and how it may fit in their portfolios. So if uh, you have any questions or you'd like to learn more, Feel free to check out our website at wittenbergwealth.com or you can text me 801-839-7056. And please remember to subscribe, to subscribe to the Wealth of Insight podcast and share with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to the Wealth of Insight podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Stratos Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor. Stratos Wealth Partners and Wittenberg Wealth Partners are separate entities from LPL Financial. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wittenberg Wealth Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.